Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now. Ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Right Now-ish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Sliding through with something special for you. Today, we're going all in on the history of hip-hop. It all goes back to 1973 when a DJ named Cool Herc and his sister Cindy threw a party in the Bronx, New York. It was a landmark event that cited as the start of this thing that we know and love called hip-hop. To commemorate the 50th anniversary, KQED is launching a year-long multimedia project called That's My Word, the influential, underrecognized history of Bay Area hip-hop. Throughout 2023, we'll be celebrating and honoring the Bay Area's contributions to hip-hop through interviews with iconic Bay Area rap artists and culture keepers, as well as written articles, an interactive timeline, digital playlists, online videos, and in-person events. To kick things off, y'all know I had to start with the conversation with hip-hop historian, radio host, journalist, and activist, Dave, Davey D. Cook. Originally from New York, he's been in the hip-hop scene since it was in its nascent form. As a teenager running with his crew in the Bronx, he saw what was happening with the culture and he was already wondering how big it would grow to be. I was at a place called The Promenade, which is next to Marble Hill Projects in the Bronx. And my crew was doing a party. And I remember sitting there and it's like, wow, look at all these people here. And I said, I wonder if people around the world know what we're doing. You know, this is incredible. You know, like, just hit me. Like, I wonder if they know, you know, how exciting this is. Davey D eventually moved to the Bay Area to attend UC Berkeley. He brought what he knew of hip-hop culture with him and shared it with folks on campus. Davey is quick to say that the elements were here and the grounds were fertile, but it had never been packaged as hip-hop. But once it was, it started growing and kept growing. And Davey, the legendary award-winning journalist, grew right along with it. I recently talked to him about one specific video from UC Berkeley's campus in 1984 and how it gives insight into the beginnings of hip-hop in the Bay Area. We also talk about where Davey thinks hip-hop will be in the next 50 years. All of that and more coming up after this beat break. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. 
And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. You, being the historian, you weren't a fly-on-the-wall historian. like You've been in it. You've been in it for some time, man. The, the first thing that comes to my mind is that a video specifically from 1984 at UC Berkeley, at Sprawl Plaza, with you DJing. It's an early iteration of what hip-hop looks like in the Bay Area. It's a moving piece of footage. Can we talk through it real quick? Sure. It's called The Day in Hip-Hop. And what we were doing was trying to do a showcase and bring to the campus and celebrate this thing that was burgeoning. Back in the days, I started out as an MC. I wasn't a DJ. I became a DJ when I moved out here. So what you see in the video is me with a cut-off uh, sweatshirt. has my name on it. You also see a guy named Patrick Norwood, who is uh, out of L.A. and was a good DJ. We had a crew called the New York LA Connection because they were from LA and I was from New York. We bought out some dancers. We bought out uh, these artists. And there had to be several hundred people there watching as we did this thing. And that graffiti that you see, that's me. <laughs> I you did the graffiti the, too? Yeah, I did the, did the writing. Um, okay. I, was, I was never a graph artist, but I did do that. You got uh, Commander C and Diamond D. Okay, so Diamond D is the person on, as we're looking at the screen to our right. They were the Dazzling Two. Okay. What I did was I passed out uh, a leaflet that explained what hip hop was. A few hundred of them, they were on pink pieces of paper. It was an article that I wrote explaining oh, what hip-hop was. A one-sheeter, right? A one-sheeter, yeah. Why would you need to pass out a one-sheeter explaining hip-hop? People didn't know at that time. And you wanted to make sure they had it. You know, like, what are you watching? Why are you watching this? My mom was mad because she said, you didn't put your name on it. Put your name on it so people know that you you wrote this. You know, she's like, I don't want nobody taking your stuff. You know, like, oh, my. they they see me pass it out. But it became important because a lot of people did use that article. It showed up in the San Francisco Chronicle. <laughs> you know, there were people that quoted from it and didn't know where it came from. I seen it on websites years later. But yeah, it was to give people information that would be useful at that time understand that there's no YouTube at the time. This was something you had to be there, you experienced it, and then people would talk about, man, you should have seen what I saw that day. 
It was a vibe there, man. It wasn't wasn't whether or not you could cut records on time. Didn't matter. It was like, man, I feel the vibe. I mm. feel the energy of it, and it was almost euphoric, especially once the dancers got on. The dancers turned it out. There's a scene where the dancers like they line up, and yeah. you think it's about to start, and then they they drop their pants and they have pants under their pants. Yeah, and it's like you see their uniforms, like oh, it's about to go down. But you know, you also got to remember in the Bay dance expression have been around for a long time too and there's a whole trajectory of that they're doing breaking right they were doing the boogaloo and they were doing strutting and they were doing roboting but there was a there was a bass style of dance so instead of me being fascinated that hip-hop's presence would be around and so thorough in the bay area i should acknowledge the fact that the elements that are hip-hop were present even before 1973 in the Bay Area. Right? We've always danced. We've always been people of the drum, right? Percussion has always been our thing, right? Having all those elements put together in a package like that had not happened. So again, it's it's not either or, it's both and. I think somebody from New York would have came out and saw the boogaloos out here would have been like, wow, that's dope. That kind of reminds me of... You know, some moves that we have and vice versa, they already had its identity. And what I would tell people when I went back home, it's like, man, you running things out there? said, man, the Bay's already established. You know, they, they got their own scene. And even though hip hop as I knew it didn't manifest itself this way out here. What I saw was, and then would later come to appreciate it, with people who were knee deep into funk. They already had a dance. They already had a swagger about them. This is the home of the Black Panthers. This is the home of movement. We already got our thing. You know, we might take a little bit of yours, but we're already doing our own thing. In the early days, how did hip hop culture spread through the Bay Area? Well, I think it's spread the same way that it does everywhere else where Black folks are. First, we have to ask the question, what parts of hip-hop? So you have to get a graph writer in here to break down how they were passing along secrets and understandings and, you know, cultural aesthetics. I think us as DJs, there's a whole path that we took. So I'll give you an example. There was a guy named Quickie Kev who was on the campus, Quickie Kev came out of L.A., and he knew how to scratch. So there was an L.A. fast scratch. That's what we called it. He was vicious on it. So whenever he did a party, people were standing around like, man, how do we do that? So people were trying to mimic that. So that became one way some of that trickery was passed along. Then other people might see a concert here and there. But for us, many of it was like, seeing somebody who had a skill set and they would pick it up. That would be one path. Other people, like some of the dancers, it was an apprenticeship. You know, you learn from older people, they passed it down. And even there, there were different paths. If you talk to somebody like King Tech, he'll tell you that, you know, he knew how to do all the strutting and roboting and the Bay Area stuff, but his breaking education came from a guy named Quentin or Q, who is from New York, who showed him some things. 
Some of it was people going to other places and picking it up and coming back. It's like, I just got back from L.A. Man, this is what they're doing. Or, man, we was down in New York. This is what they're doing. And vice versa. So a lot of it was word of mouth. Then you got different variations. Like, if you had me trying to show you a dance move that I saw somewhere and I don't really dance... You know, imagine, man, what they do is they clap their hands six times. No, Dave, they they clap it ten times. But I'm showing you six because that's how that's all I could do. So if you follow my dance understanding, it's going to be different than somebody else's. Why? Because I can't mimic precisely what I saw, right. you know. And so there was a lot of that, too. It's fascinating. Again, you know, just because hip hop is so big, it's like you can't not talk about popular culture in the united states largely the world yeah without mentioning hip-hop but to think that like at a time it was spreading via word of mouth the other side of that question about you know kind of recognizing hip-hop is a living entity was there ever a time period where you thought hip-hop is dead or dying or this might be the end of it the first time i thought it was going to die was in 79 the block parties have kind of died up you weren't hearing people do the tapes too much. We started to hear stories like, oh, man, I heard Grandmaster Flash is down at the Renaissance and, man, he's doing blends, not cutting and scratching no more. It just wasn't the thing. Like, you know, you weren't running around like, listen to me, MC. It just was kind of dead. And in October, 79. Hip hop, hibbity, hibbity, hip hop. You know, what you hear is not a test. I'm rhyming to the beat. Sugar Hill Gang came out. And that changed everything. And it made everybody re scramble and go, man, they put out records. We could do that too. So everybody rushed because it was like, man, we better than those guys. I said, a hip. It was like, wait a second, those guys did a record? Now on radio? What? Have you ever heard of them? People are like, I never heard of those guys before. So everybody and their grandma was like, man, they don't even rap good. You know, or because they were using other people's rhymes. You know, we heard all these rhymes before. It was like, oh, hell no, let me. That leads me to believe that hip-hop will rebirth itself constantly. Like, when I asked this question, I thought about, for me, at a time I thought hip-hop was dead was after the deaths of Biggie and Pac. But I also know the deaths of Biggie and Pac led a lot of other artists to dig deeper. And there was, like, this race for the new king of New York. There was this race to be, like, the king of the West Coast. Or even after Nas said hip-hop is dead, there were so many artists coming up being like, what, hip-hop is dead? Nah, the South just got it now. We rocking. Or mixtape artists and and blog the blog era rap you know kind of came from that that time period, and so uh, are you seeing this kind of cycle of resurgence as well? Well, black expression is not dead. Now the question is, what do you call black expression? Mm. You see what I'm saying? We didn't call hip hop hip hop when I was coming up. There was no such name called hip hop, not until the '80s. So. Somebody might have said, soul and funk is dead. But somebody else would say, well, hip-hop was a continuation of funk and a continuation of jazz, which is an extension of funk. Hip-hop that we came up with 
is not the same of what we hear today. So I hear people, oh, man, all this drill music, and I can get it. It's not for you. I should not necessarily be grooving in fully understanding the aesthetics that are attractive to a 20-year-old when I'm 20-plus years your senior. There should be a continuation of the expressions of those artists that we loved and admired when we came up. So maybe it might show up with a versus. But I, I also think that those artists should continue to grow and evolve and allow room for people as they get older to enjoy those expressions the same way we do for rock and roll folks. When the Rolling Stones comes to town, nobody goes, oh, you know, Mick Jagger's 80 years old. Why these things? They're like, man, that's the Rolling Stones. Let's go. Even Madonna, you know, is Madonna. We going, right? She's in her 60s now, right? Ain't nobody tripping. The only time they put a timestamp on that, and a lot of that is industry driven, is with hip hop. You know, the music around it. And a lot of that has to do with not wanting to have people have longevity where they establish, you know, equity. I think it's up to us to allow our music to be timeless. Like if I do a set, I play the old with the new. You know, I'm not sitting up there just staying in. You know, I'm not just going to stay locked in the 90s. Not going to play locked in the 80s. And I'm not going to be locked in the early 2000s or the hyphy movement here and crunk movement in Atlanta. You go up and down. So Lil John into Lil Dirk. And Lil Dirk into Saw Rock and Saw Rock into Roxanne Shante and Roxanne Shante into Conscious Daughters is the way it needs to go. You know, into some into some Afrobeat. And you know, from Afrobeat into some ragamuffin and from ragamuffin into some Fela. That's what we should be doing to remind folks that these expressions are timeless. It's our collective, you know, challenges, triumphs pain and happiness and we should not allow boundaries to be put on our music by the industry which is done for marketing purposes more than it is for aesthetics 50 years from now hip-hop is hip-hop will be a continuation of black expression it ain't going nowhere we're going to stop singing and vocalizing ourselves no we gonna stop dancing no are we gonna have different rhythms absolutely it might not be called hip-hop you know but it's still gonna be here it will never leave because hip-hop at its core is the expression of people who want to build community with one another who want to lose themselves not be limited to what society says is valid expression. Like, I just don't want to talk. I want to rap. I just don't want to rap. I want to sing. You know, I don't want to do the two-step. I want to spin on my back and, you know, and go another way. I just don't want to be limited to a drill beat or a crunk beat or, or a trap beat. You know, I'm adding an, an extra hi-hat. So we'll be here. The key for us is can we connect the past with the present? And can we connect the past and present to the future? That's our job. So we're here to open your mind. Black Moon say, get you open. 
Big, big thank you to my guest, hip-hop historian, Davey D. He's been a cornerstone in this culture, someone I've watched or rather like listened to as a kid. He's also someone I've gotten to know through adulthood and this profession of journalism. Gotta take my hat off to Davey and all the folks who've chronicled this culture since its beginnings. Without you, I wouldn't have even been able to conceive of what I'm doing now. So really, thank you. For more of his work, check out his website, DaveyD.com, or follow Davey on social media. His Twitter and Instagram accounts can be found at MrDaveyD, and his Facebook is DaveDCook. Be sure to check out his comical posts, as well as his political ones. For all of you hip-hop heads, stay tuned to KQED for more of our year-long multimedia project, That's My Word, the influential, underrecognized history of Bay Area hip-hop. Or go to bayareahiphop.com to get the latest info. This episode was produced by Chris Hamburg with Marisol Medina Cadena. It was edited by Jin Shin. Seal Muller is our engineer. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. Cesar Saldana and Ria Garawal are the engagement leads. Ethan Tobin Lindsay and Holly Kernan are the KQED execs. I'm your host, Pindarvis Harshaw, reminding y'all that hip hop don't stop. Turntables might wobble, but they don't fall down. Peace. Right Nowish is a KQED production. Funding for Right Nowish comes from Akhenati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 